You can open your uh, Bibles to Luke chapter 10, and just so you know what uh, Pete says about my daughters is true. His, so I, I, we were in Bath yesterday, Matt and Pete and I, uh, for a bit, and so I took some pictures, texted them to my girls, and they said, their response was, well, why didn't you take us with you? So that, it's that kind of interaction that I think Pete is referring to. Uh, I was in Poland uh, with Matt and Pete this week, as, as Pete mentioned, which is a wonderful week. Um, but I wanted to extend my trip to be able to come here and to spend Sunday with you and this weekend with you, because you are a church that I carry on my heart, uh, a church that as the Sovereign Grace leadership team we pray for, and a church that I want you to know we, we thank God for you. Uh, we, we truly do. Um, our, our partnership is one of first relationships. And you, are, you, you have friends um, throughout the world that pray for you. Uh, I also wanted to just come and, and really in, encourage you. Because what we saw this week, uh, I think Pete said it well, this embryonic beginning of Sovereign Grace Churches in Europe was, was actually very exciting, very humbling, as you said. Um, but faith building for what God is going to do in Europe. And I think Grace Church plays a very significant important role because you've been uh, doing gospel ministry here in Bristol uh, as a Sovereign Grace Church for 20, over 20 years now. And there are men that, that need an example like you um, in the Czech Republic, in Turkey, in Belarus, in Poland, in Italy. And you are going to provide that for them. Um, I, I think you're going to meet some of them. They will come here and you'll get to meet them. And maybe some of you will go to them and serve them and care for them. And uh, it's gonna be, a, I think, a wonderful partnership. And so I just wanna thank you for your, your commitment to the gospel and to your gospel centrality. And thank you for, I know your heart, to serve the advancement of the gospel in Europe. And I just, I just believe the Lord's gonna use you. So I wanted to come and encourage you in that way as well. There are many things in our lives that can distract us from the most important thing. And that being spending time with and growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, we can be so busy, we fail to identify what are those things that are distracting me from being with Jesus and treasuring more, him more. And so what I want to do today is, is look at a familiar story in Luke chapter 10, the story of Martha and Mary, and hopefully define some of those potential distractions that may be in your life so that we can see them and apply the gospel to them and sort of deal with them so that we can grow in our relationship with Jesus. I'm so, so glad that Pete prayed that we would see Jesus. And I pray that we would see him today, not only today, but that we would see him every day and that he would be the one, and he is the one. He's the only one who can satisfy our souls. So Luke chapter 10 Beginning in verse 38, we'll read through the end there, verse 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered the village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, 
Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The title of my message is Distracted by Many Things, and may God bless the preaching of his word. We live in a world today that we are asked this question, how are you doing? And many of us can respond by saying, uh, we're busy, just very busy. Or we might say that life is wonderfully full. And we are affirmed in our busyness when someone might say in response, well, it's better being busy than not, right? We can have those kind of interactions. There's a man by the name of Tim Kreider who wrote a New York Times article that was published in June of 2012. And this is what he says. The title of the article, by the way, is called The Busy Trap. And this is what the article says. Almost everyone I know is busy. They feel anxious and guilty when they aren't either working or doing something to promote their work. On top of that, they schedule in times with friends which further pack their schedules. Even children are busy now, scheduled down to the half hour with classes and extracurricular activities. They come home at the end of the day as tired as the adults. The present hysteria is not necessary or inevitable. It is something we've chosen, if only by our acquiescence to it. And I think Kreider is right. Our busyness is not simply something that happens to us. It is not an inevitable condition of our life. Rather, we have chosen to be busy. And I share Kreider's observation with you because the choice that, Mary, that Martha makes in this, in this text, in this story, is set in stark contrast to the choice that Martha makes. They both made a choice, and Luke contrasts them for us very well. It says in Luke chapter 10, verse 42, that Mary has chosen the good portion. And that, obviously, is contrasted with Martha, who is described as distracted with much serving because she chose to do so. See, every time I read this story, I don't know about you, but every time I read the story of Martha and Mary, I want to defend Martha because she's the one who's working hard, right? She's the one who's, who's serving. She's, she's thinking of everyone else. She's getting the house ready. She's preparing food. She's making sure everyone else is comfortable. It seems to me that Martha's doing some important stuff, right? That's why I want to defend her. Maybe you as well. I mean, she's not sitting in the corner on her iPhone looking at Instagram, is she? She is, she is serving others. See, we need people like Martha. We need people like Martha in our churches who love to work hard and prepare meals and open their homes and stack chairs and serve in children's ministry. So why isn't Jesus jumping in and saying to Mary, you've got to help your sister? Why isn't he doing that? I think our answer is found there in verse 40. Why doesn't he jump in and say, Mary, help your sister? Verse 40, he's, Luke writes, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Now note in the text that Jesus doesn't correct Martha for being busy. He doesn't do that. Working hard and being busy isn't necessarily wrong. However, it is wrong when it 
distracts us. That's the key word. It distracts us from that which is most important. So we got to ask the question, what then is most important? Well, it seems the text is very clear to do what Mary did, right? To sit and behold Jesus, to spend time with Jesus. You see, for some of us, our busyness can actually reveal a deeper problem. And this is where I thought Tim Crider's New York Times article was very insightful. He writes this, busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked in, demanded every hour of the day. You see, do you see, do you see the problem? Without Jesus, our lives feel empty. Without Jesus, our lives seem meaningless. And so we fill them, we fill them with things, sometimes with busyness to hedge against the emptiness, as Kreider says, and the meaninglessness that we can feel. Yet you, you know this, busyness never satisfies the soul. Busyness will never feel the, the empty void that we might be feeling. And like Martha, we can be anxious and we can be troubled by many things. See, the problem is that our busyness, it distracts us from that which is most important. It distracts us from being Jesus. It distracts us from the one, the only one, who can truly satisfy our souls, who can fill our emptiness and bring meaning into our lives. So maybe you arrive here today feeling busy. And somebody else likes my sermon as well, by the way. Um, you arrive here feeling busy or hurried or anxious. If that's you, maybe your business, busyness is distracting you, much like Martha. And God has you here today so that you can enjoy more of the good portion, more of Jesus. So we're going to look at five things that drive our busyness and distract us from spending time with Jesus. Now, this is not a comprehensive list. These are a few, few thoughts, some that you see in the text, some from observation with, our, with my life and your life. Let's begin with the first one. Number one, uh, what, does, what drives our busyness and distract us from spending time with Jesus? Number one, you are trying to do what God doesn't expect you to do. You're trying to do what God doesn't expect you to do. See, we have to make sure we, have, we understand the text accurately. Jesus doesn't admonish Martha for her work because God created work, and work is a good thing. We know that from Genesis chapter 2, 15, chapter 2 verse 15, where at creation, God puts Adam in the garden, and he says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So God created work. God delighted in his work, and he wants us to do the same. We are to work to be productive and to have dominion over, over the, the, the world that he's given us to do. It's a way that as we work hard, we actually do serve others because any vocation that you're in or, or stay-at-home mom that you are, your work, it is contributing to the, the flourishing of human beings as God continues the work of finishing out his creation. So Jesus doesn't admonish Martha for working hard or, or serving faithfully. Rather, his admonishment is, is a caring one. 
It's a loving one because he wants Martha not to be anxious and not to be troubled by many things. And that, that, that phrase there, many things in our Bibles, it's important that we understand it. It means that she's trying to do more than God expects her to do and therefore is distracted from that which is most important. Now, for me personally, I can relate more to Martha than Mary in this story. I am more like Martha. Maybe you are too. People like her, people like me, maybe you like people, some of, some of you, we take responsibility seriously and we feel responsibility even deeply. We are responsible, too much so at times. Therefore, when someone has a need or something needs to be done for them or a job needs to be fulfilled, we jump in and we work hard and we fulfill it. But even when we do all that, and we should, many of us can live with a low-level guilt that we're not doing enough, actually. Marthas do that. They think they should be doing more because they, they are doing what God doesn't expect them to do. Because of, at least for me, it's an area of pride. Because of our pride, and that would be the hard issue for me, we can live with this guilt that we need to do more. And so we keep moving and we keep, mo we keep working and we keep doing more. Here's, here's the best analogy I've found. There are some species of sharks, great white sharks, for example, that, that have to keep moving or they will die. What that means is that species of shark, they have to keep moving to get oxygen into their system. And so they've got to keep moving or they die. And I think that's me. I'm a great white shark. I can think at times, if I don't, if I stop, if I, if I don't, don't, if I keep, if I keep, if I don't keep moving, I'm going to die. And maybe you feel that way. You're like a, a great white shark. People like me, people like you, we don't have an accurate view, at least I know I don't, of my limitations and my weaknesses. And that affects how I can live. We don't understand our limitations in capacity or gifting, or ability. And so like Martha, we, we, we try to do what God doesn't expect us to do. It is humbling to know that you have a limitation on your capacity. And that's helpful. Age helps that, actually. I can, I can attest to that. It's helpful to know that you aren't gifted in each and every way. It's, it's helpful to know that we're not supposed to do everything we're supposed to do because we're trying to do something that God doesn't want us to accomplish. Matt Perman in his book, What's Best Next, it's a wonderful book, introduces a section on delegation. How do we, how do we delegate our work better? And this is what he says. God hasn't given us all the time we need to accomplish what we have to do because he wants us to rely on other people. I think it's really well said. It's, it's, it's a biblical truth. See, when we, when we don't rely on others, when we don't realize our limitations and our weaknesses and our gifting and capacity, when we don't embrace our weaknesses, know what they are and embrace them, we will try to do what God doesn't expect us to do. And our busyness is multiplied and might, like Martha, we can be troubled and we can be anxious about many things. Again, busyness doesn't just happen to us. We choose to be busy. I know recently, this just happened a few weeks ago, and I'm so grateful for the Lord's conviction. Um, just, uh, it was just a few weeks ago, I just noticed I was just an irritable guy. 
I was not much fun to be around. If Jill were, were here, she would stand up and tell you, yes, that's right. Um, I was just, I was irritable. I was just, uh, I was not joyful. And I was, I didn't understand why. I didn't understand what was going on. And it was, there was a particular morning, I was working myself, my way uh, through Isaiah devotionally, and I forget what chapter, I kind of think it was Isaiah 45. And, um, this, uh, there was a particular passage in that chapter, and I read it, and I was just convicted of self-reliance, just relying upon myself. And I just felt like the Lord said to me, that's why you're so irritable, because you're not relying upon me. And I was just convicted in the moment, tearfully so, because of that form of pride that I saw in my heart. And I, I confessed that to God, asked for his forgiveness. I went and I confessed it to Jill, because I had been irritable around her. And you know what was so good? In that moment, conviction is a good thing. Because I asked God for forgiveness and I received grace. And since that time, I've not been irritable. Or at least not as much, anyway. (laughs) That's the grace of God that we have in the gospel. That God doesn't want us to be anxious and troubled and irritable about many things. Rather, he wants us to focus on the most important thing, Jesus Christ. See, brothers and sisters, when we try to do what what God doesn't expect us to do, we are distracted from that which is most important, spending time with our Savior, who is eager to help us and eager to give us the grace that he purchased on the cross that we sang about earlier. When we try to do what God doesn't expect us to do, we become I think many times functional saviors, right? In other people's lives, trying to help solve everyone else's problems. And we don't see our need for our Savior each and every day. Our lives then have this void that busyness can never fill, this emptiness that only Jesus can fill. And so let me, let me ask you this. Are, are you, maybe you're irritable like me, I hope not, but maybe you're irritable or maybe you are anxious. Is it, is it because you're trying to do what God doesn't expect you to do? And if that's you, God's brought you here today not to be condemned, but to receive his grace and to draw closer to him. Okay, second thing that can distract us, you are fearful about your kids. You are fearful about your kids. So if you have children, Or if you have grandchildren, then you know that parenting is hard work. I think it's the hardest thing I've ever done, actually. Parents are busy because we are working hard to raise our children, and we want them just to turn out okay, right? If they just turn out okay, that's a win. That's how we can think about it. And yet there are times when the busyness of parenting parenting can actually be a reflection of a fear that our kids won't turn out okay, that they're not going to do well. So in the midst of raising a family, we must be aware of that potential fear that we can have for our children, which can be fed by the culture around us. See, we can, we can fear that if we don't raise our kids the right way or give them all the opportunities that they need or should have, then our kids will fail and it will be our fault. That's the fear that we can live with. And so we have these expectations on our kids that, that they, read, they can read an entire encyclopedia by age three. You can think that. 
know a second language by age five, and play concert-level piano by, by age seven. We can have those kind of expectations with our kids. And then Kevin DeYoung says this. I think this is so helpful. Parenting has become more complicated than it needs to be. It used to be, as far as I can tell, that Christian parents basically tried to feed their kids, clothe them, teach them about Jesus, and keep them away from explosives. That's true, right? Now our kids have to sleep on their backs. No, wait, it's on their tummies. No, it's on their backs. That's a big controversy, right? While listening to baby Mozart and surrounded by scenes of Starry Starry Night. They have to be in piano lessons before they are five and can't leave the car seat until they're at least five foot six, right? Yes, this is what we need to be aware of. Parenting has become more complicated because our fear-driven culture has become too child-centric. I think that's the, that's the reality of what we are living in. And when the culture influences us that way as parents or even grandparents, we can, we can fear that if we don't have our kids in, involved in everything, if we're not giving them every opportunity, if they're not in the best schools and they won't get the best jobs then, and they will fail. And it'll be our fault. So we fill our schedules with sports and practices and music lessons and language classes and every imaginable social event. Our days are filled with being the Uber or taxi driver, right? Running them everywhere, all times of the day. And like Martha, we can be anxious and troubled by many things that distract us from being with Jesus. And we don't get the time with him. And therefore, we are exhausted and weary. Now, don't get me wrong. Sports and education and music lessons and language lessons, those are all good things. They're good things. Uh, you should involve your kids in them. But when they control you and your schedule and distract you from being with Christ, you must ask yourself, why? And is it good for your family? So does your, does your schedule reveal potential fear as a parent that your kids won't turn out? Okay. You know, Jill and I are, are old now, and we look back on our parenting years, and we, th- we just think, what would we do differently? Well, first of all, when we look back on our parenting years, we say this, we really tried to mess our kids up, didn't we? <laughs> so many mistakes that we made in our parenting. But as we look back, there was, if there was one thing that we could have changed, it would be this, that we would have had more faith. They would have had more faith in God, that God would work through our feeble and weak and imperfect and even sinful parenting efforts at times to do his good work in our kids' lives. That's what I would tell parents today. Make sure you have faith. See, as disciples of Christ and as Christian parents and grandparents, spending time with Jesus, it builds your faith. It strengthens your faith and it equips you to parent in the way that actually scripture holds out for you, which is much more simple. Kevin DeYoung says it this way. What does the Bible actually say about parenting? Child rearing is hardly the main theme of Scripture. That's good to remember in a child-centric culture. God doesn't provide many specific instructions about the parent-child relationship, except that parents should teach their children about God, Deuteronomy 6, 7. Disciple or discipline them, sorry, Proverbs 23, verse 13. Be thankful for them, Psalm 127, and not exasperate them. Ephesians 6, verse 4. 
So I think that's helpful. Just a practical tip when determining what your kids should be involved in and we're looking at your schedule, begin with those priorities in Scripture. That's where I would start. And then decide how you want to fill your schedule in from there. And remember that your relationship with Christ as a mom and as a dad, as a grandparent, it will be the best example. It will be the best teacher for your kids. Because more is, more is caught than taught sometimes, right? When they see you spending time with Jesus. So let me ask again, are there any ways that you see in your schedule a reflection of a fear that you might have as a parent? And is it distracting you from spending time with Jesus? Okay, third, third thing that can distract us. Number three, you are distracted by your devices. That's not surprising in the world that we live in today with our phones and our iPads and laptops. We can read our Bibles and at the same time check sports scores, text friends and family, um, read the latest news and get directions anywhere in the world. We can do all that within a matter of minutes. Now, we, we got to get this right. Technology isn't wrong or evil. It's not. God, I believe, created it. There's a, there's, there's a theology of technology there. We, they, are, they, are, they should be used for good things. So, but, but the question is not technology. The question is whether technology is controlling our lives to the point that it distracts us from spending time with Jesus. And in, in this world that we're living in, where we have this accessibility, so much information at our fingertips, and we can have instant connections with friends through, actually throughout the world, it can have this almost addicting quality to it. I, I found this in my, my own life. There was, um, I've been trying to study this a little bit more, but I, I noticed there was times I couldn't go 30 minutes without checking my email again. And I thought, man, something's wrong about this. Like there's this, I gotta check my email. It, it, it's, it's obsessive almost, right? It's almost addicting if you can use, if you can use that uh, particular word. There, there's an interesting article, uh, this was a few years ago in the New York Times about Facebook. Um, it was published in May of 2016 um, where Facebook was reporting these, these dazzling first quarter results uh, for that year. Their, their, net, their net income had tripled to 1.5 billion American dollars and monthly active users hit a record 1.65 billion people using Facebook. But, says James Stewart, author of the article entitled, Facebook has 50 minutes of your time each day, and it wants more. That's the title. It's as much a smaller number that, that leapt out to me. It was, it, was, it was the 50 minutes as I read the article that sort of affected me. 50 minutes. Facebook wants at least 50 minutes of your time each day. And actually, they want more because that makes them money. Now, there's, there's money that lies behind it. Um, again, Facebook isn't wrong. It's good to be on Facebook, to connect relationally, to communicate with one another. The question is, does it distract you? Does it distract you? Especially when you are spending time with Jesus? Is there an addictive quality to your use of technology? So you're checking it all the time in a way that hinders your time with Jesus. Now this, this literally happened in my life just a, a couple of years ago. I was up early in the morning uh, doing my devotions. I, I sit down at my desk and my Bible is here, my iPad's there, and I literally did this. I picked up my iPad first. 
And I went to Twitter. The only social media I'm on is, is, uh, is, is Twitter. I went to my Twitter account because I wanted to see if anybody liked what I had posted the, the day before. Like someone should like what I posted the day before, right? Like that would make, somehow give me some sort of satisfaction. So I picked up my iPad. I'm looking at my Twitter account, and I'm just convicted in the moment. What am I doing? And the Lord convicted me. Mark, what are you doing? You know what I was doing? I was beginning my day with Twitter. I wasn't beginning my day with Jesus. And that's not going to be a good day for me. Maybe you have done, and so I confess that to the Lord. I ask for his forgiveness. Maybe you've done that. And the rest of your devotions, you wrestle through reading through scripture because you've been on online. It's important that we don't let our devices control our lives and important that they don't distract us from being with Jesus. Fourth, fourth distraction that we can we can see in our lives, you crave the approval of people. You crave the approval of people. Many times we are crazy busy because we say yes to too many things because we don't want to say no to people. That's what it boils down to. We say yes and, uh, to too many people because we want them to like us and to think well of us. We can live under this, this reality that we, we actually live under people's expectations of us. Uh, we, we, we can have a reputation of, oh, she'll get things done. Oh, I know I can depend upon him. And so you're the go-to, right? You're the go-to person. And you don't say no to those things because you want to have that reputation. You, you crave the approval of people. We, we can be afraid even if we don't keep with, up with all of our friends online that they will not like us anymore and we will lose them as friends. See, our reputation of being reliable and competent or kind and being a good friend, that can drive our busyness and it can distract us from the most important thing, spending time to be with Jesus. Now, get this right. Reputations are good things. You being dependable is a good thing. You having friends that you keep up with is a good thing. Those things aren't wrong. In fact, I think they're even biblical things. But if they drive our schedules in a way that we can't say no to people and therefore we don't get much time to say yes to Jesus, then that's the problem. There we are distracted by many things. See, let me say it a different way. Spending time with Jesus, you and I spending time with Jesus reminds us that we don't really have to be worried about a reputation. Because Jesus has already secured our identity and our reputation before a holy God. And he's done that in the cross of Jesus Christ that we sang about earlier. He shed his blood for all of our sins. He washed us white as snow. He has forgiven all of our sins. He has robed us in righteousness so that we do have confidence on that day we will stand righteous before God in Christ, right? Well, if we have that on that day, we have it this day. And our our identity, our our reputation is secure in Christ. You see, the gospel, it does this. It frees us from people's expectations. And you can say no to serving, and it's going to be okay. 
You can say no in a way that you can be secure in Christ. So if you're, if you're saying yes to too many things because you want to please people, apply the gospel and allow it to free you. Okay, let me talk about one other distraction that doesn't necessarily drive our busyness, but I believe is the result of our busyness. Number five, you have become too familiar with Jesus. You've become too familiar with Jesus. The longer we are Christians, the more vulnerable we can become to be familiar with Jesus. Because we've known him so long, we can think there's not so much more that we can know. Because we've read our Bible so many times, we can think that there's, there's not any more treasure to be mined that will reveal the many glories of Christ. We can sit at the feet of Jesus and think, I've sat here so many years. See, familiarity with Jesus breeds passivity. And then we don't spend time with Jesus in the way we once did because we're passive. And familiarity breeds passivity, and passivity breeds, I believe, apathy in our relationship with Christ. And our heart isn't as passionate, isn't as warm toward him. Here's what we do. We, we fight familiarity by remembering Jesus' words to Martha in Luke chapter 10, verse 42. Mary has chosen the good portion. That's what we've got to remember. The good portion, meaning Jesus Christ, who we are told in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, in him all the fullness of God, the, the infinite fullness of God was pleased to dwell in other words, in Jesus, there are infinite riches of glory that we are to know and we are to mine and we are to see and we are to admire and we are to treasure as we look at Jesus. And when we do that, brothers and sisters, it is only Jesus who can satisfy our souls. And when you, you experience Jesus that way and you are fulfilled by Jesus that way, you know what you want? You want more of Jesus. That's what you want. Let, let me just close here. And I want to close with the gospel. Because we've talked a lot about, oh, all these ways we're distracted and the sermon can feel like, well, go and do these things so you won't be distracted. And I don't want to leave you there. I want to leave you with Jesus and the good work of the gospel. So if your busyness is a hedge against the emptiness that you feel in your soul, if it's affecting your time that you spend with Jesus, if you see some forms of the busyness that I mentioned in this sermon, and even maybe even as I spoke them, the Spirit of God convicted you, then Jesus wants you to know this, that you can draw near to him today. I'm so grateful for Nick's word at, at, the, at the prophecy mic, that you can draw near to him in grace because his love is going to abound for you. You see, we must remember how Luke begins this story of Martha and Mary. Did you, did you see it in the text? Verse 38, now as they went on their way. It's very important verses. Not, it's important that we not miss that. So where was Jesus and his disciples going? What way were they headed well, you learn actually in the chapter previous, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Luke records it this way. When the days drew near 
for him to be taken up. He, meaning Jesus. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. See, when Jesus visited Martha and Mary, he was on the way to Jerusalem. He was on the way to Calvary where he would be crucified for my sins and for your sins. In other words, Jesus was going to die for people like Martha who were distracted by many things. See, it is Jesus who has paid the ultimate price and receive the punishment we deserve for our pride and for our fear and for our self-reliance and for our unbelief. And it's his atoning work on the cross that washes all of that away. And if you're convicted this morning, he is eager to forgive you and to give you grace, grace that will transform you. He is, he is eager, I don't know about that. He is eager... Found this on the web. That's an interesting way to, to close the message, isn't it? Um, he is eager, as Nick said in that prophetic word, he is eager to, for you to know his abounding and unending love. And so when you leave here, think about what I've said. Maybe make changes, but, but leave here in the good of the gospel, in the grace that is yours in Christ, believing that it is the grace in Christ that will help you to treasure Jesus more. And may he be your treasure, and may he be your delight. Amen.